Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the digital tiny room. I am your co-host from Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I am I'm Michael, and I am joined by the man who has been called the original Ben of Michael and Benjamin's podcast. It's Ben. That's me, you fuckers who put me on an island in a bloody insane asylum. Surrounded by dinosaurs. It's taken me all bloody week to swim back. It's been a nightmare. Yeah. I'm not but you're safe lie. now. It's been and your your episode has ended. Yeah, I'm not not a fan. Not a fan of being locked up. Um, I did I did hear the the pod was made in my absence, Michael. Thank you for sending out a search party, you fucker. Um, you just let me get kidnapped. You just let me get yeah. kidnapped. Is what happened. It's not kidnapped, Ben. It's called you were sanctioned, sectioned, and it was for your own good. It, it probably was. I feel much better now, Michael. And the just, good of the pod. For for what it's worth to the the commenters, listeners, and my co-host, please please don't mention. Um, Anything based around the verb to become, just 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 <laughs> just leave it out, okay? Because I have you're, tri- you're I, triggered. Yeah, I have been warned by doctors Vellenhertz that it's a triggering phrase for me. Um, oh, very good. Not unlike the Manchurian Candidate that sends me into a kind of rage. So or the or the Winter Soldier or the Winter Soldier stock um, car homecoming yeah. thirteen. Yeah, pretty much. Just just don't. Just anything to do with that wonderful verb, uh, which which references transitioning from one thing to another. Um, mm-hmm. We will have less of that. Thanks very much now. Um, Brendan, since yeah. we're covering grudges this week, I would like to publicly announce my new arch nemesis. My new arch nemesis is plants which pollinate themselves with windblown pollen. Ah, ah. Well, they're, they're real sons of bitches. They're nefarious. They're nefarious, I hear. Well, I suppose they're not sons of bitches. They're sons of other trees, but they're real sons oh. of sons of birches, if you will. Oh, very good. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything that was yeah. very good, though. Or sons Switch. of beaches. Oh, but, that would have been even better. That's but beach better. the tree, not beach yeah. the, the 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 geographical feature. Beach with a double Be- e. <laughs> people people listen to this podcast, Ben, and then they think, well, why are they going to talk about comics and pop culture and whatnot? Are they just going to talk about Pollen the whole oh, time. Welcome back to Michael and Benjamin's Botanical Podcast, inaugural edition. Um, the pop culture route wasn't working for us, so join us every week when we discuss themes and tropes to do with pollen and bumblebees. Uh, ben, have yes. you seen the new um, plant, Luke Cage? The new plant, Luke Cage. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a fauna-based or. Flora paste pun for that. I'm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Look, we're look, dropping the theme back to po- back to comic books and pop culture. Back, back yeah, to here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Let's get back. Have, have you seen it? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen. It. I've heard. I've heard reviews. Go on. Uh, I, I hear it's it's a little bit better. I hear. I hear we've tweaked and honed uh, an iron fist and made him a little bit less meh. Well, I, Ben. I haven't oh. seen Iron Fist yet. I'm about halfway through. Um, I think he's only in a single episode. Okay, he is, but I hear I hear good things. Yeah, um, it's good so far. It, okay, like all the Netflix shows, it's a bit slow. It is oh, a bit slow. They have pacing issues lately. I don't know what that is. I don't think it's lately. I think even Daredevil season one, if you go back and look at it, was a bit slow. And even Jessica Jones season one was a bit slow. And they're my two favorites. Mm-hmm. And I think they were a bit slow. And even Defenders, which was only eight episodes, was also a bit slow. 
That's not also, great. Also, Ben, also. Yes. Yes. I think one of the central problems, not problems, one of the central divisive things about Luke Cage is how invested are you in Mariah Dillard as a character? Mariah Dillard is the the girl who took over the woman who could, took over from Cottonmouth I assume yes exactly because yeah. it is as much if not more mm. her story than Luke Cage's oh then I couldn't give you, a fuck and if you're into that if you're into that it's grand it's very good it's very exciting and very enjoyable because she's doing her machinations and she's up to things and what she's doing next she but Michael, hand but Michael, yeah, because I, I had a question. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> I, I had a question. What if, what if you're not into that, Michael? Well, then it's not very exciting because it's basically uh, Luke Cage using his invulnerability to fight uh, a, a politician, a, a, a wheeler dealer. You know what I mean? And they, although they do bring in Bushmaster this year, so there's a, a physical threat to Luke Cage as well. Okay, so there's 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 an owl an owl bushmaster. It's a three way thing, if you know what oh. I mean, Ben. Bushmaster, like Luke Cage, and Mariah Dillard have a three way. Yes, the devil's three way. Oh um, God, they don't they don't have a three way, but it's a three way rivalry sort of thing. Oh, okay, okay. Does Mariah get jealous that that Bushmaster's taking all Luke Cage's time? No, no, not at all. Uh, bushmaster, uh, he's from Jamaica, obviously. Fair enough. And this isn't me, Ben. Someone in the series says, Jamaican me crazy. Oh, uh, okay. Very good. Uh, but he I don't know how I feel the, about that. He, he hates the, the Stokes family. So he's out oh, okay. for revenge on them. And he wants to get rid of Luke Cage. And Luke Cage wants to get rid of both of them, obviously. So it's all, they all hate each other and it's a big thing. But one of the best things, Ben, is seeing like a mainstream TV show with loads of Jamaican patois. Ooh, patois. That's interesting. Yeah. It's very good. Um, the 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 cool thing is, well, actually, this is a funny thing about it. You know, Ben, Jamaican patois sounds a lot like Irish English in a lot of ways. It can yeah. in in certain factors, sure. So there there are often times when they're talking about Luke Cage, and they sound like Irish people from the countryside. Sure, your man Luke Cage down the road there now. Luke Cage, exactly. They talk a bit like they're talking about Luke Cage. That's my impression of an Irish person from the country, not a Jamaican. Oh, man. Uh, but then they're using the, the patois, and it's great. They'll say something like, Dem uh, uh, here, here in Harlem looking for Luke Cage. But I watched it with closed captions on, and in episode one, two, and three... The closed captions translated the Jamaican patois into standard English. Yes. So, so they would say something like, uh, uh, "Him have the heart of Harlem rasclad," and oh, it would God. translate into, "Luke Cage controls the heart of Harlem, you fool, <laughs> you fool." <laughs> oh, nice. It was great. But then, in episode four, the closed captions don't translate anymore. They just say it directly. Oh, what? So, what? yeah, exactly. Were you a deaf person, you would be very confused about why half of the characters suddenly completely changed their way of speaking. Oh, okay. So, as, as, a, as a non-deaf person, it's fine for us, but for the gang over there, not, not so... Yeah, I think, 
I think they had different people do provide the closed captions for they different must episodes. Have. They must have. Um, very, they must have outsourced. But look, Ben, it's a, it's a good series. There's lots of Luke Cage superheroing. He Woo. he does lots of uh, he does lots of fights and he gets shot a lot and people hit him with things and the things break. And it's very much about his journey and avoiding going to the dark side. Any uh, any hints at a, a Diamondback return? No, not not so far. I don't think that we'll. I don't think we'll see that. Uh, it's very much a new story. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, and I'm a couple of episodes deep, and Misty Arm, Misty Arm, Misty Knight hasn't got her new arm yet. Okay, but it's coming. It's coming. Cause oh it's yeah, well, there's big, big. images. When, when did she lose her arm? In the Defenders. I ah uh, ah. Uh, I I ignored a lot of the. I kind of blocked it out. That would explain yeah. that. I think it was Bakudo. Remember that drip from from Iron Fist. The, the hand. The, the boring member of the hand, the one yeah. who trained teenagers. Yeah. I think he cut her. I think he cut her arm off. Very teenage ninja mutant turtle, circa nineteen eighty something. Mm. Oh, it was dreadful. He was one of the worst. Yeah, just very dull. Just a yeah. just a dull old, a dull old time. Yeah, no, it wasn't uh, great. Anything else, Ben? Anything um, else? In terms of stuff like that, um, no, uh, I, I did want to. I just want to have a little chitty chat. This is this is unscripted chitty chat, actually. Oh, uh, ben, what, I don't like this. I'm no, on no, edge. No, 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 it's 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 good, Michael. But um, you did another comics roundup this week, Michael, uh, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, oh, good. And uh, in it was Avengers number two from the new run of Avengers, and I commented I below it. Four. Uh, I commented below it, Michael. I said, "I said, wow, this new Avengers run is a ton of fun." In my traditional yeah. kind of skippy American accent, um, yeah. And and you said disagree with I an exclamation disagree. mark. Yeah, yeah. Can I'm you? Not, can, I'm not a big fan of it. Okay, fair enough. Can you tell me why? Look, tell art me is fine. Why, let's tell me, sweet. Let's start with wise. that. Yeah, go on. How? Um, let's make sure we're talking about the same run first of all. This is the one where. A new team of Avengers are fighting Loki, and Loki has brought a new celestial host to Earth. Yes. Very good. Okay. Um, I don't really like it because I don't care about the new evil celestials who killed the old celestials. For one thing, we saw the la- the, the the whole idea of they're able to kill celestials. Mm-hmm. Celestials falling out of the sky, oh, it's so terrifying. That whole... Oh, they're able to kill Celestials, they're super powerful, was used not a year ago in Jonathan Hickman's um, whatever the world ending series was called. Mm. When they wanted to show that the builders were really powerful, they yeah, killed yeah, yeah. a lot of Celestials. Um, other things as well, like the stuff that's happening with Thor and Odin and Loki, mm. directly contradicts what's happening in Thor's own comic at the moment. Okay. Which I just think I'm having less tolerance for as I get older I like things self-contained or if they're going to be interconnected I like them to be properly interconnected um yeah no I mean that's that's perfectly fair who's writing it I can't I can't remember who's who's writing the Avengers run I know Uh, I know Jason Aaron's is back on Thor um he's thawing the day away again oh it's Jason Aaron oh okay that's surprising I I would have thought, um, I would have thought that it would be someone else because it's if there's that much of a juxtaposition, you'd think maybe he's working it in. Um, that is bizarre, Ben. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. I'm, I have both comics here. I honestly hadn't noticed that. Yeah, that's that's Why a weird. Why is he contradicting himself? 
He's contradicting himself. That's what I mean. That's that's really weird. Um, that is odd. Well, one of the things I find really fascinating about this, because as you know, Justice League has just rebooted itself uh, in the DC mm-hmm. universe, and both yeah. of them, both of them, are drawing heavily on their Silver Age influence. Y- yes, which okay. I find really interesting, um, because I think people have oddly enough had enough of these really dark, cynical runs. Um, right. And world-ending things. Now, obviously, world-ending events aren't going to end in comic books. But it's no, interesting it's... that the possibly the two biggest super teams on the planet, yeah. um, Justice League and, and thing. it's interesting that they're going with an old-school, lighter approach or kind of very much a nostalgic approach. Because the uh-huh. Celestials are, are a big-time kind of Silver Age, Kirby mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then the Legion of Doom is back in the JLA, um, all of which I find really interesting. It's interesting they're going back to do all that kind of thing. Um, and it's funny that Jason Aaron's is almost a direct parallel to Scott Schneider um, in terms of being an author who was given his own runs, then upgraded to a big character. Scott Schneider mm-hmm. got uh, Batman and yeah. Jason Aaron's got Wolverine um, for a while. Um, and now they're being brought on board as the the big dog, you know, to take over the helm, I suppose, if you will. Um, and Scott Schneider has been given his shot at Justice League, and um, bloody, 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 bloody Jason Aaron's been given his shot at Avengers. Um, interesting. But it's I, I, it's I interesting. Hadn't, I hadn't. I had not put that two and two together there. On the topic of things being kind of rebooted, based on your recommendation, I'm really enjoying the Wildstorm. Yes, it's it's rather good, isn't it, it? It's a it's a fresh take. It's um, it has the excitement and the vibe that the Ultimates had back in the early two thousands. Yeah, but it's I think it's I think it's a little bit cleaner. I think it's it, oh yeah, no, it is. It's 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 really good. It's really strong, but it has that um, it has the feeling of the height of Marvel. Like I, this comparison for me of it's like the Ultimates in the early two thousands is a very positive comparison. Yes, I know. I know. In the beginning of the Ultimates, it was really great seeing these characters updated and modernized, and you're always wondering like how how are they going to bring Thor in, and how are they going to what's what's this version of what's this version of bloody the Black Knight going to look like, <laughs> and that's what Wildstorm. Feel, the Wildstorm feels like I can't wait for it. It's going to split off into other series and oh, is it? it yeah, and oh, it's, good gonna, stuff. it's twenty-four issues of the Wildstorm, and then it's going to split off into two other series. Is Vertigo? Like, uh, we're going to have an authority, I think, probably. I, I think one of them is going to be the authority, because mild spoilers, obviously. It looks like uh, the Doctor and Jenny Sparks are heading towards setting up an authority yep it seems that way it seems that and way remember you said remember you said last week that the the bird wing girl is gone yeah they haven't she's not gone she's the doctor oh they've just amalgamated they've, they've merged the two they've amalgamated oh, okay. her and she has magic wings instead of physical wings oh interesting isn't it interesting isn't interesting. it interesting i think Very i think good. possibly my favorite character in the new the new run is is the engineer i think she's pretty good in this mm. one i i like that yeah you know i like that she's slowly i like first of all i like that she hasn't just been gifted you know the suit and i like that she upgrades herself she's like a a young slightly confused iron man um, yeah, and, there's you know, a lot of Iron Man similarities, different versions and stuff like that. It's interesting. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I, I really like it as a series. Um, Me too. Yeah, 
it, it also it has I'm also looking forward to when are they going to introduce Planetary are they going to introduce those characters it's very exciting well they're going to have to come in at some point I'd say won't they I don't know that's the thing I don't know maybe they'll come in as an amalgamation oh it's very exciting yeah so Warren Ellis back at his A game yeah goes to show you these these things shouldn't be rewritten by people who don't create them like Warren Ellis clearly just has a much clearer idea of what he wants his stories and characters to do um Although, to be fair, most of the characters he's working with in the early goings are Jim Lee characters, not Warren Ellis characters. Okay, fair enough. Because oh, he's Wildcats, isn't he? That's that's Jim Lee. Jim Lee was Wildcats. Jim Lee started Stormwatch, too. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't know uh, that. And then Warren Ellis came along, killed off most of the Jim Lee characters and introduced his own. Okay, so, okay. All right, fair enough. So the likes of Zealot, Grifter... Um, Deathblow, they're all they're all Jim Lee guys. It's interesting seeing Zealot back, um, because she was um, Zealot is the female character with the white hair, isn't it? Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. like a sexy, evil dominatrix, Lucy yeah. lawless Xena warrior princess. She was in the blonde hair. Character. She was in the Justice League for a while, wasn't she? She the was the second thing, stringer the whole, in the league. The whole Wildstorm thing got ble- merged in. Um, Apollo was in. Yeah, I remember Apollo that. Was in, no, you're right. What team he was in? He was in. But, yeah. He was in JLA. He was in the Justice League of America for a while. They split um, the Justice League and the Justice League of America, um, mm-hmm. and the Justice League of America was actually a Justice League created by Amanda Waller uh, to compete oh, with uh, compete with the kind of international Justice League aspect. Yeah, Ben. I I mean, real strong recommendation. I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward Good. to. To future episodes, good, uh, good Ben. Good. Yeah, if you were to say that Tom Holland was famous for anything, what would you say he's famous for? He's famous for not keeping his big old mouth shut. Yes, I was going to say he's famous for being in that film, The Incredible. About is that what it was called? The in- The Incredible, The Impossible, The Impossible. I impossible? think. Impossible. Yeah, the one about the the one about the tidal wave that freaks me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Impossible. I think is is the name of it. Yeah. I don't, anyway, I don't think he's most famous for that. No. Uh, no, no, he's not. No. Uh, but he has done the impossible. <laughs> and hang, hang, hang on, hang, hang on. Yeah. Just, just, do you know what? I'm going to do what people do to dogs who piss on the carpet. Just stick your nose oh, in that no. there for a second and oh, fucking no, sit one, with it. That was one of the best segues. No, no. Uh, anyway, he told <laughs> us the name of the new Spider-Man movie. Which is... Uh, well, I don't know. This could be fake. Oh. And then we're reporting fake news. But anyway, the internet says it's called Spider-Man Far From Home. Far From Home. A possible reference to the fact that he doesn't exist anymore in the main MCU universe. <laughs> oh, is that what you think? Everyone who got turned into dust went into an alternate dimension? Be interesting, wouldn't it? Be interesting. Mm. Uh, or he's trapped inside a soul stone. I mean, there's a lot of different theories that could be that could be chucked around there. Um, yeah, I heard or about this... In- Sorry, go on. Or he's in New Jersey. New Jersey. Far from New York, where he's from. Um, New Jersey. What is this strange place? What the hell? I can't even get a decent sub. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mr. Stark. <laughs> anyway. Holland impression. I think... Oh, Mr. Stark. Help me, Mr. Stark. I'm a Spider-Man. I think we're probably going to mess around with the, the new cosmic suit, which is kind of cool. Um... Which is which is interesting. Um, Do you think it's going to be Spider-Man's boss? 
I, I think it might be Spider-Man's the boss, which, which grinded my gears, Michael, because, as you know, there's a terrible 90s movie coming out in 2018 for some reason. <laughs> and that terrible 90s movie is called Venom, and it stars yes. uh, Tom, uh, Tom Hardy as a rough and gruff reporter mm-hmm. who prizes the mantle of Venom, and we are Venom. Yeah. And as you know, um, Venom is, is pretty much uh, Spider-Man's shadow self. He's a bloody big hulking oh. uh, form of all the aggression, anger, and murderous impulses that Spider-Man fights back. Um, and they manifest into right. a suit that has a bit all of right, a heart on. Young. Yeah, well, I'm young in the crap out of this. Get over it. Uh, but the unfortunate thing about this is uh, the symbiote is actually an alien. Um, it's an alien. And the really annoying thing here is this would have been a perfect way for something to attach itself to Spider-Man, give him a little mm. hand in the film so for example Spider-Man yeah. gets his ass kicked he finds this tiny little shred of kind of black ink like substance that moves around um, the black ink maybe maybe he gets beaten up maybe the black ink substance kind of heals him a little bit it merges with Very his body good, yeah. and then he finds that it helps him and in return for that he looks after the little black like symbiote thing and when he comes mm-hmm. back to Earth for Spider-Man 3 uh, yeah. We could have, we could have had our, we could have had our a nice introduction. You know, we know where the symbiote comes from. We know it's an alien force. They have a strong mm-hmm. bond. The symbiote yeah. is clearly very attached to Peter Parker, and Peter Parker is very, very clearly yeah. attached. And it would actually suit Tom Holland's characterization because the characterization that he has for Peter Parker is quite a caring kind of soft character. Yeah. Um, like, oh, I can't throw out the little alien yeah, thing. It's, like it's really nice. It's like his pet, and slowly over time, we see that all change. So I, th- I think that could have been a really interesting way. But we can't have that now. Instead, we get bloody Tom Hardy in a tracksuit. By the way, Tom, mm-hmm. just Tom Hardy, Mr. Hardy. Tom Hardy this is nothing against listener. you, Tom. This is nothing against you. Um, this, is, this is against the horrible characterization in your film. Um, so I get to watch Tom Hardy in sweatpants kill people in a 90s movie yeah. instead. Very Feck. good. Um, but seriously, um, M- uh, Marvel Studios, if you want to hire me on as a screenwriter, um, just send me a quick message at my personal email. Um, I'll stick it in the link down below. Don't tell Michael. Yeah. He'll get very pissy. Um, I will. But honestly, I'll come I'll, in. I'll, I'll fix your universe. It's fine. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, he has no experience or qualifications, but that's fine. Don't worry about but that. But that's it's never stopped me having a job before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Benjamin. Do you remember a few weeks ago, Benjamin, we did an SCP episode? Yes. One of our most popular episodes ever. Our, it is our most popular episode ever. There's no Oh, one yes, of our, that's true, actually. It is yeah. our most popular episode ever. I think we're we're up around the 900 mark at this point. 900, yeah, on, yeah. on the YouTube. 900 a couple, views. A couple, hundred, a couple hundred more listens as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, Benjamin... Uh, since then, have you been reading any SCPs? I have, Michael, because I've become very attached to the SCP community. I think it's a very uh, interesting kind of subculture. Uh, I, I dig Such it. Such pos- positive vibes. I dig it, yeah. Um, and one that I've become really, really fascinated with is SCP-701. Um, mm. It is classed as Euclid. Um, okay, which we is know, very we know interesting. That means. It means that it is contained and safely contained for the time being. Um mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is called The Hanged King's Tragedy. And my favorite thing about it, Michael, is it's a bit meta. And you know I love an old meta moment. Oh, yeah, very meta. I love it. I love a meta moment. So The Hanged King's Tragedy is about a play. Um, mm-hmm. And basically this play, when it's found and performed by a troupe, um, runs perfectly normal for about the first two weeks. And right. then the second two weeks in rehearsals, actors start to kind of ad-lib things Uh-oh. that aren't in the script. Now... 
they ad lib the same thing. So whether the whether the troop is from Washington or whether the troop is from you know Delaware, Washington to Delaware, did you see? They did that work quite well there. Um, yeah, whether they're performing in different parts of the country, or whatever, the same characters perform the same ad libbing. Oh, okay. very good. I like that. So that starts to happen, and it, it, the play starts to manifest itself in a different way, and then. When we start doing mm-hmm. dress rehearsals, a mysterious entity starts to appear in glimpses ben. on the stage. Yes. No, you. You're the mysterious entity. Yes, I'm. I'm the mysterious entity that appears on the stage. It's me. It's me. <laughs> uh, no, it's not me. Um, but then the best part, and this is the part that you'll really like, Michael. This is the part you'll really sink your teeth into. What happens is finally. Okay, come on, hit me. On the the night of the play what happens is one of the characters who owes a debt is actually ritually murdered on stage completely unscripted on behalf of this entity so the other actors in the play murder this character in a very specific ritual and then a a big bloodbath breaks out a big bloodbath breaks out and they murder the audience Uh, and anyone anyone who survives the audience Mm. leaves the theater and begins to murder people in their own personal life Oh, so it's very a very nice. it's a very murderous um uh object and it's it's really cool. Um what it reminds me Ben slightly of is the the king in yellow. Have you ever heard of the king in yellow? Oh my god, you it's son of a bitch. You went and jumped off my bit. You fucker. <laughs> oh no, was that did you have that? Sorry. <laughs> you you absolute fucker. <laughs> you went it is no, very sorry. like the king this in yellow Michael. You, How did you end up reading? It's what happens when you d- <laughs> I think I you read the King in Yellow Band because, as you know, as you know, I like a Lovecraft, obviously. Yes, the um, Lovecraft. In, but oh my God, you just steal them a bit. You steal them a bit. I'm all written ever, here. Have you ever played the board game Arkham Horror? Uh, no, I haven't read. I haven't played the Arkham game. No, it's a very good board game. It's very enjoyable. Um, it's uh, mechanically, it's not a great board game. I mean, it's a bit long, and once you've figured out how to beat it, it's pretty easy. But it's thematically very good and the king in yellow and an evil play is uh one of the expansions for that so that's how ah, I okay heard it. Ah, okay so that's how you heard of it yeah well it is a, a very famous kind of uh proto horror no it's not proto horror it's, it's full horror but it's 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 kind of a famous marker for that kind of creeping dread horror or insanity horror or cosmic horror mm-hmm. um and as you said um it's very much it, it influenced um lovecraft and he he read it in 19 i think 1902 or 1922 or around then and it had a big influence on him and he even references it in his work but the king in yellow is a book by a man called robert w chambers um and it's a victorian uh collection of short stories uh all around a central theme and the central theme in this particular case is the king in yellow or the color yellow um and quite often what happens is uh, each of the things is joined together um, by this obsession with the king in yellow or the yellow sign. Um, and what it is is the, the, the king in yellow, it's, it's named after... The king in yellow is an entity, much like the one in the mm-hmm. uh, SCP um, thing. It's an entity that manifests and is kind of a big, otherworldly, controlling presence. A bit of a Cthulhu or something like that, but a more human version. Um, and it's a forbidden play, and anyone who reads the play goes a bit mad, 
goes a bit mad. Mm-hmm. Um, they go off the reservation and then um, podcast usurpers send them off to mental institutions and have them locked up so they can talk about <laughs> bloody karate kid. <laughs> Very good. If there was is, an is entity, what if there was an entity that was you, it would be called a bentity. <laughs> but yeah so that's what happens it's very interesting uh very meta obviously uh the characters mentioned over there's a couple of refrains that come back again and again one of them is have you found the yellow sign so these characters go in search of this yellow sign to mark the coming of the king in yellow um uh-huh. It's really, really interesting. Um, but it's it's obviously very heavily influenced uh, the young man or young lady who wrote that SCP entry. Um, I think there's a couple of differences. Um, the, the King in Yellow doesn't necessarily drive people to a murderous rage. Um, he kind of just drives them insane. Um, yeah. And so it's not as murdery. Um, but it's just interesting to see how it's influenced by quite a famous thing uh, i recommend the king in yellow if you feel like being very unsettled um, it's very victorian and a little bit over the top but it's also very unsettling in parts there are three particular stories uh, the yellow sign the king in yellow um and i can't remember the third one um but the the three that make up kind of the core narrative of the thing are very unsettling to read it's a good crack there the that whole theme also leaked into a lot of of the better warhammer literature really yeah, there's a couple of because uh, Warhammer obviously is very heavily influenced by um, by by Victorian creeping horror, creeping creeping dread, creeping dread is what you're saying, um, or even just specifically by Cthulhu stuff. Um, I I can't put my finger on the uh, name of a book or anything, but there are lots of touring troops of various things that things start going wrong when they show up, or uh, okay. there's one kind of. There's one evil circus uh, nice. that spreads disease and travels from town to town and people go along and everyone's fun and everyone's laughing and then people start getting diseases and noses start falling off, but everyone finds that hilarious. Oh, nice. So it's like a collective madness kind of thing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, It's very Bradbury, mm-hmm. very Bradbury. Something wicked now, this way comes. Ben, you have said you have thrown the word Victorian in there. I have. Um, I've been for for international listeners, for people who don't come from a country who lived under the yoke of the British, fucking Brits, the hated English. Uh, the the what was I saying? Yes, for people who didn't live under the yoke of the hated English. Do you want to explain what that means? Well, the Victorian. Uh, when we use the word Victorian, it refers to the time period of the nineteenth century or eighteen hundreds, because we always jump one ahead. So from eighteen hundred to. Uh, the 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 1900s i suppose um very very specifically though it refers to the reign of queen victoria that's where it gets its name uh Mm. queen victoria was the uh dominant monarch throughout that age um it was of england of england sorry i should point that out more more importantly uh and i suppose you could look at it as as the end of the the great british empire um in Mm. certain ways um and I think, it, obviously, it had massive implications worldwide. Um, but it, what it really affected was literature at the time. Um, the Victorian era has had a huge influence on literature even today. Um, and really, um, 
when, when we talk about literature and things like that, usually we look at it as a way to hold up your mirror to a society. Um, and because uh, Victorian England had just come out of the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution was really an established thing now. Cities were bigger than ever. London was yeah. this huge, sprawling monstrosity. Um, and immigration became a huge thing for the British Empire. Because, Michael, ah. when you skip around... Yes. When you skip around and take over various countries and tell everyone that they're British, you can't really get pissed off when those people come over to Britain and say, well, I'm a British citizen. You can't say, no, 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 no. You're a British citizen when you're over there, but you can't be a British citizen over here. So what happened Mm. was, and the analogy that I was always given um, at university where I studied literature. um, College boy, is it? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, The... Analogy I was always given um, for that was if you think about England as a huge hand, mm. okay. Basically, during yes. their their great British expansion and their colonization mm-hmm. of the world, they kind of stretch that hand over the planet, okay. Very good. And they put different different fingers in different countries, and, and, and now Africa and now <laughs> India. You know yourself, continents <laughs> like and stuff you, like that. Yeah, that's right. Stop that. Hopping from country to country, putting your fingers in places. Michael. Michael. (laughs) I'm sorry to any former flames listening to the podcast. If you are, (laughs) please stop. Please stop mailing me pieces of your hair. Um, It's weird. It's it's getting uncomfortable and my mother's quite upset. Um, So, uh, yeah, basically that hand expanded into different countries and then... In in the nineteenth century, hand? that one that you're holding up, the, the one that I'm holding up, this hand. Oh, stop it, Michael! Jesus wept. Anyway, that hand expanded into different countries, and then uh-huh. the Victorian era is where things started coming back up the hand. Ugh. So, if you think of it that way, things started to to move along the hand into the main body, and that's what happened to London. London became this huge melting pot. Um, uh-huh. And the literature at the time really reflected that. You have in Victorian literature, um, really what you have is you, you have some very big authors there. You have Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. You have Oscar mm-hmm. Wilde in the picture of Dorian Gray. You have Charles yeah. Dickens and the various things that he put together. Um, that are too numerous to mention. But these have become big archetypes um, in our literature and certainly the precursors to modern popular literature. But... What is more important for us here at the podcast, Michael, is um, with this massive expansion of cities, towns, etc., came a mass expansion in literacy, um, which was a big Ah. jump. And that became especially dominant in the Victorian era. Um, So the working classes and the middle classes um, became literate, um, which led to a brand new call for uh, more forms of fiction and literature. So you didn't exactly. have, yeah, you didn't have to have an education anymore, um, and the way that that demand was met, because unfortunately at the time, if you wanted to read a Dickens, um, yeah, or uh, an Oscar Wilde or something like that, you had to pay a pretty penny. Uh, you had to pay about twelve pennies for the serialized novels from people like Dickens. Uh, or right. Verne's or something like that. So in order to meet demand for poorer people that couldn't afford that, uh, along came the release of something called A Penny Dreadful. Oh, very good. A penny good. dreadful. And a penny dreadful is very, 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 very simply um, yeah. a, cheap, a TV show. A cheap, often serialized uh, novel or novella um, that you could pick up for no more than a penny. Um, very good. And it, the key trait of it is because they couldn't afford to pay decent writers, you got lads that like to try their hands at fiction. So you had this really sensationalist, over the top 
kind of fiction. Um, like Jason Aaron. Yeah, like, no, Jason Aaron. Ah, oh, come on, get out. Oh, I got him. Zing. Um, yeah, but basically, you got really over-the-top things. It would have been the start of the mass horror genre. It would have been the start of your supernatural entity genre. It would have been mm. the start of all these things. Um, and really... Yep. It's where pop culture comes from. This is basically. where pop it's culture where comes pop... from, Michael. Right. Okay, this is where pop good. culture comes from. Exactly, Michael. You're Do you're carry a, on. you're ahead of me on the curve. So, I mean, Penny Dreadfuls um, have had quite an influence. For example, did you know that there was a Probably. famous 1845 uh, serialized Penny Dreadful called Varney the Vampire? Varney the Vampire. Varney the Vampire. But it wasn't very good. But what it did leave is a distinguishing mark on the physical appearance of a vampire. Varney the Vampire is the first instance where a vampire has sharp incisors that they can retract. Oh. Yeah. That didn't exist before Varney the Vampire. So That's very interesting. How even, do they get your blood? Yep. Even if they, they used to like scratch at you and then lick. Ugh, gross. Yeah, it was weird. That'll get infected. It was real weird. It was real weird. Um, so anyway, after that, um, that that kind of shaped how we view vampires today. So that's it's kind of interesting. So these Penny Dreadfuls had um, a huge influence um, on how we consume literature more than than anything else. We like this cheap, accessible literature, and I suppose in many ways, comic books are the uh, are one of the many illegitimate children of that genre. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can see that influence even today. I mean, uh, we just finished up with that series, Penny Dreadful, named after the, the aforementioned. Sky Atlantic. On Sky Atlantic over here, um, which had the old Ava Green as a sexy, possessed lady. Um, she was a very sexy, possessed lady. And then we had... My lady friend actually does a very good impression of her. Oh, does she? Oh, man. Can yeah. we get your lady friend on the it's podcast to do an email? Can we have Eva Green, but your lady friend... Um, on the podcast as a special guest that'd like, be great oh I'm Evergreen and I'm going to do oh look at monsters got it That's, got uh, it nailed than, it Michael it's better than Par- Apparently, there's not only one person in that house going to do the decent Ava Green impression there's two of them that TV um, show that TV show anyway also, also famously largely filmed in Dublin it was it was it was filmed in in, in sections of Trinity College in sections mm. of Trinity College um, so yeah um it had Josh Hartnett as a as a, a sexy werewolf, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. So I mean, all all these all these tropes of kind of mythological creatures being brought into the cities. Uh, so, for example, you had your Wolfman, you had your Dracula, uh, you had these things. These are all Victorian tropes that have really gone on mm-hmm. to inspire a lot of comics today, Michael. Um, you Dracula. and I have have talked before about uh, Sherlock Frankenstein on this podcast, and he yes, is a bloody have. he is a bloody mega Victorian character. Mega Victorian character. Oh, he, he's an immigrant. He's an immigrant. He is. He's a mad scientist. He's a mad scientist. Yes. Yeah. He's a. He like comes from the working class. He comes from the working classes. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps using technology. Yep. Yeah, that's very interesting. Ben. I mean, it's it's all super interesting. These tropes have really carried forward. I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, I mean, you hit on a couple of interesting notes there. Immigration being a big, big trope in Victorian literature, not always a positive one. Um, if you go back to Sherlock Holmes, every villain mm-hmm. he had in his original in his original serialized run on the Strand was was a bit foreign, a bit exotic. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, and it was always, oh, look at that savage from this country committing murders and blah, 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 blah. Or they'd use, you know, an oriental ritual or, you know, the word oriental got thrown around a lot. Um, it wasn't Is great. Dracula but, I mean, you, a Victorian character? 
Uh, sorry, say that again. Is Dracula a Victorian character? Dracula is a Victorian. Well, I mean, okay. So the the actual inspiration for Dracula is very much not a Victorian character. Vlad Dracul was an actual emperor or, or king, king, emperor, prince. We we call it of uh, of a country called Wallachia way back in the day, uh, which then later transitioned into Transylvania, which then became uh, modern Romania. Um, mm. But thanks for that, Ben. Uh, the overall narrative. Uh, and that famous vampire narrative, I suppose, the most influential vampire narrative of all time, uh, was very much Victorian. Mm-hmm. Written by an Irishman. Mm-hmm. An Irishman. Yeah, and an Irishman, suppose? Sir London. An Irishman, yeah. Sir London. And very much about the terrors of immigration as well. Very much about the terrors of immigration. Because, sure, sure, look at, sure, look at Dracula. He's only a bloody uh, Romanian immigrant, um, really, when yeah. you break it down. And he's causing mm-hmm. terror. So, I mean, all of those novels kind of reflected very much the fear and stress. Um, we've got your classic, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and, and really, what, what that was a look at was uh, London had become this massive kind of monstrosity of a city. Um, and people were worried about what it was doing to people psychologically. People were worried, you know, um, about the crime rates in these cities and, and things like that. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is very much uh, an example of what happens when a good man, Dr. Jekyll, um, lives uh, in a city and has his mind warped and becomes a monster like Mr. Hyde. Um, mm. I mean... We were all investigating these things. So, I mean, these are some of the big themes. Immigration, the working classes, um, technology, moral degradation that goes with all of that. Um, I mean, these were all things that Victorians were, were very much uh, wrapped up in. And the Penny Dreadful did nothing to help those. They sensationalized them and turned them into to great big things. But without them, Michael, good. we'd have yeah. feck all today. We'd have feck all today, my friend. A lot fewer comic characters. Yeah, a lot fewer. A lot fewer. I mean, some of the most famous comic book writers in the world have borrowed heavily um from victorian narratives well smash me with some examples there ben well i mean probably the most famous example in terms of just sheer blatant rip-offery um is the league of extraordinary gentlemen um ah, is that rip-off or Mr. homagery Br- it, i mean it's a bit it's a bit of both to be honest um mm-hmm. the, the league of extraordinary gentlemen just borrowed from everything uh, to do with the Victorian era, it borrowed from well-established characters, like or well-established narratives, like um, Dracula, to yep. to lesser-known Penny Dreadful characters, uh, like Broad Arrow Jack, which I'm sure you know very well. Um, you don't, you, <laughs> do, you definitely don't. But the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was written by uh, Alan Moore in 1999, um, and I think it's probably one of his most famous works. Would you Would you agree? I think it is. It's probably one of his better works. It's, as well. it's also one of his better works. It's very, it's very, it's it's a good old time. But the original roster for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it's kind of like uh, the Avengers or the Justice League in the Victorian era, I suppose. Very much so. If you if you yeah. if you want to look at it that way, in fact, you could say that the plot of the bloody original Avengers movie is just a straight up rip off of the plot of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where one man goes around and collects a team to face off against threats that they can't handle on their own. Um, yeah. But I'm fairly certain the Avengers did that before anyway. Um, That's but uh, in that original run in that original League of Extraordinary Gentlemen we had Wilhelmina Mina Murray who is Mina Harker from Dracula we had Alan Quatermain but now, who, but now she's a vampire now she's a vampire um, yes we had Alan Quatermain who was the famous protagonist of King Solomon's Mines and Alan Quatermain yep. the novel mm-hmm. uh, we known had racist. Captain Captain known racist uh, we had Captain Nemo who was mm-hmm. from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne? We had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
and a, yeah, and a foreigner. Uh, and we had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from Robert Louis Stevens's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. Uh, the Invisible the poor Man. Man's Hulk. Yeah, Poor Man's Hulk. Uh, interestingly, the original iteration of D- Mr. Hyde is small and squat. Yeah, it's uh, cool, he's, isn't it? He's not big at all. He's small and squat and tiny uh, and very strong all the same. But he's murderous and psychopathic in the same way that mm. Alan Moore's uh, Mr. Hyde is. Um, yeah, then you have the Invisible Man, um, mm. who is from H.G. Wells' Chevy famous Chase. thing. Uh, <laughs> very, very obscure reference there. Kevin Bacon. Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Um, A.J. Raffles. Uh, who was a character uh, from a bunch of serialized things? Um, he kind of he was kind of a rip off of Sherlock Holmes because the man who created him, E. W. Hornung, was actually the mm-hmm. brother-in-law of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Was so he? he was kind of a rip off of him. Uh, and then Thomas Carnegie is in there as well in the original roster, and he was an occult detective. So I mean, you can see all the themes that make comic books popular today. I guess I guess ben, uh, Thomas Carnegie about, would be kind of a. What about what about Tom Sawyer and Dorian Gray? Dorian Gray feature in the ah okay so um, yeah they feature in the film adaptation. Uh, Michael on. of of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which isn't really as good as the comic, I'm afraid. Um, not not as good at all. Not as not as good at all. Um, that was starring, of course, uh, Mr. Sean Connery as Alan Quatermain. Um, and Irishman, Irishman's his boss. What's his name? Stuart something. Oh, Stuart. Uh, no, you put me on the spot. Damn it, Michael. Is it Stuart something? You keep talking about things and I'll look it up. You were saying something. Anyway, um, these are all different homages to things. And I think one of the coolest things about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is the ones it it kind of spun off. So the the original two volumes are are great. And then it had a series of spin-offs. We got the Nemo trilogy from that. Um, And in the Nemo trilogy, uh, Alan Moore goes even further back in time. Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. Thank you very much. Uh, he goes even further back into Victoria, or deeper into Victorian literature, and finds all the Penny Dreadful characters that he's going to stitch together. In fact, even Cucullin makes an appearance in the Nemo trilogy at one point. Um, mm. So an Irishman sits in London again. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been heavily influenced overall. I think one of his more literary, ambitious kind of things was From Hell, where he fictionalized the life of Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah. And I mean that's a big black and white volume, and it's it's horrific. It's it's quite messy. Um, Again, not a great movie. Not a great movie. Bloody Johnny Depp. God. Too much Depp. Too no, yeah. Bloody soft Depp. It, it, too it, much. Too much Depp. Not enough depth. Y- boom, boom. Johnny Byrne. Got it. No, yeah. that's something else. Never mind. Never mind. Um, <laughs> going on from there. Uh, yeah, he also had Tom Strong. He also created Tom Strong. And Tom Strong was kind of like a, a big explorer, technological character. Um, kind of Doc, 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 Doc Bronze, Bronze Doctor. What was his name? Uh, oh, I can't remember. You put me on the spot again. That, that Bronze guy. You know the Bronze guy? Dr. Bronze Man. Uh, yeah, you've lost me. You've lost Bronzy Doctor Shine. Bronzy Doctor Shine. He's... he's He's from the, that period, but American, and he was a pulp character. And Doctor Bronze, man. Nope, <laughs> you've lost. Ben, you know the guy I'm talking about. He was, he was raised as like the perfect experiment, man of bronze. 
oh screw it doesn't matter i'll think of it later okay fine fair enough great podcasting here all around um <laughs> but yeah tom tom strong was kind of this great amalgamation doc savage doc savage thank you very much um he was kind of a great amalgamation of um the jules verne era kind of um the jules verne era kind of uh, technological advances and things like that and the great explorers of alan quartermain and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but i mean he's had a huge influence and then if you if you jump ship to another strong british um creator you can look at uh, the invisibles by grant morrison go on and that draws heavily on on victorian literature as well uh, many of the characters there are references to victorian uh characters um they're kind of weird time hoppy reality jumping they end up in victorian times occasionally i mean it, it's been a while since i've read the invincibles the, invin- the invisibles the invisibles the invisibles michael what who who is victorian influenced in the invisibles uh oh hang on i'm gonna lose the name no i'm gonna lose the name hang on uh go on. Go on. Jack Frost has some um, uh, uh, excuse me very good Jack Frost has some influences that are brought on um, by the Victorian era but I suppose one of the more uh, interesting ones is is, and you'll have to excuse me for saying this um, (laughs) listeners it's uh, Lord Fanny who is a Brazilian transgender woman and she draws a lot of her um, she draws a lot of her influence from um, Victorian era things. She's very much in love with that time period. Um, even the name Lord Fanny is kind of a British throwback to a certain type of woman in Victorian England. Um, mm-hmm. And then Jack, uh, the, I mean, you have different characters like Sir Miles and stuff like that. You have Outer Church and it's a big church thing. It's, it's all very messy. But I mean, it, I, I would say where Alan Moore is very obviously drawing on Victorian edits. Grant Morrison does that thing where he kind of blends it all together, so you really have to pick through it to find different things. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. What I find interesting is a lot of those British creators are so heavily influenced by, um, by Victorian era, obviously because they're British, and they would have a much keener awareness of how that shaped their own consumption of literature even if you look at 2000 ad which is a huge thing uh judge dread is just a, a kind of future speculation on the same themes immigration crime mass cities that yeah kind of he's thing. basically a future version of a victorian policeman i mean yeah pretty much pretty much um so it, it's kind of it's it's all very interesting michael i think we could get a part two out of this one um because i've, I've lots more to say but we are running out of time and i believe yeah i believe we have a podcast first here we do, Ben. Um, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago we said that uh, people can contact us on Twitter at Mick and Ben, or they can contact us on, find us on Instagram at Michael and Benjamin's Podcast. Yes. Or they can find us on Facebook, Michael and Benjamin's Podcast. Or they can find us on YouTube and SoundCloud. We're everywhere, Ben. Seamless plug. But we also have. We also have. A, yeah, wasn't it? That was pretty good. We also have. Uh, we also have a. A bloody email address. You the knocked official that out, email you, address of the podcast. You knocked that out of the park there, Michael. That was that was brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, it, the official email address of the podcast is michaelandbenjaminspodcast at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Uh, no possessive apostrophe on Benjamin's. Thanks. So it's just michaelandbenjaminspodcast at gmail.com. And last week you pointed out that we'd, uh, we'd never had an email at the official email address of the podcast. Um, so you'll be thrilled to hear, Ben, that the floodgates have opened... And we have received some emails. Some emails. Amazing. And the first one is from a lady. Ooh. Uh, 
uh, we won't say her name on the air. Okay. Because it's her, it's her real name attached to the email, so we won't say it. But it says, uh, I'll do it in my famous lady voice. Yes. So you have an opportunity here. Hi, lads. <laughs> That's my famous lady voice. Mm-hmm. I felt bad when I heard that you'd never received an email, so I thought I'd say digital hello. I'd also like to hear an episode about science fiction books for beginners. What to delve into first and why? A big, big hug. A lady. A lady. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was very good, Michael. It was almost like I was listening to an actual lady. An actu- that, ben, I have had quite the experience with actual ladies, so I have a pretty good idea of what they sound like. I see, I see, I see. Um... That's interesting. Yeah, you, you pretty much nailed that one. That, that's good. I think we should do that episode. Yeah, look, Ben, for me, anyway, let's very briefly address it. For me, I got into science fiction through Star Trek, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that for other people. You wouldn't recommend it for... Yeah, no, Star Trek is, is a bit heavy. It's a bit of a quagmire. Mm. Well, I mean, today, Michael, we've, we've, talked about, we've talked about bloody Victorian literature, haven't we? We have pen, um, which is which is interesting, you know. Um, and I mean, those those kind of uh, titular characters like Dorian Gray, etc., are they're mm-hmm. quite short. They're quite easily written because they were meant for kind of more mass consumption. Um, and and you'll you'll get to enjoy them. You know, you you get to an introduction. But I suppose that's not really what you're looking for if you want proper sci-fi. Um, mm. sci-fi for beginners would probably be more your, your Philip K. Dicks your, your I, I mean Asimov has some pretty decent short stories out there the one that I always go to if you're looking for some really nice decent introductions is Ray Bradbury um, right I, Fahrenheit 451 yeah I can't argue with a Bradbury I think he does a great introduction to science fiction themes I think he's very clever uh, the book that I would recommend to our lovely uh, emailer is The Illustrated Man collection of short mm. stories um which i think is a great introduction to uh science fiction and kind of what we're all about here at the podcast benjamin why don't we throw that question out to the other listeners Abs- oh look at you mike i'm so proud of you look at that um, segue bloody pod- podcast segue so you you throw it out to them ben listen guys what do you recommend for our emailer we're we here are a pair of pedants we probably get too deeply involved what what was your first love of science fiction where did you where did yours come from uh and more importantly what do you think uh, our emailer would enjoy on top of that uh for those of you who are diehard fans of the podcast um what other comics do you think have been influenced what other comics tv series etc do you think have been influenced by the victorian era and have you read mm. much of it yourselves we want to say a big thank you to all our commenters from last week uh, it's nice that uh-huh. you listen it's nice that you get involved um, and a big thank you for on, on my behalf to that tosser that put me in a goddamn psych ward so he could have a bloody podcast about bloody karate about kara- karate god damn it anyway that's all from us for this week ladies and gentlemen bye bye <laughs>